Hi, this is Bill Woods wanting to remind you that God loves you and has a plan for your life. And I hope that uh, you're being fulfilled in doing God's plan for you today. I want to talk to you about being alive in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who, in rich, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realm in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. After dying in a car crash, three friends go to heaven for orientation. They're all asked the same question. When you are in your casket, friends and family are mourning over you. What would you like to hear them say about you? The first guy immediately responds, I'd like to hear them say that I was one of the great doctors of my time and a great family man. The second guy says, I would like to hear that I was a wonderful husband and a school teacher who made a huge difference in our children of tomorrow. The last guy thinks a minute and replies, I'd like to hear them say, look, he's moving. <laughs> Most people fight tooth and nail to stay alive as long as they can in the world. Why? A variety of reasons. People love this world. If they've experienced anything good in life, they want to cling to that good. They don't want to give it up. Also, people are afraid of dying. They don't know what will happen or how it will happen. And most people aren't sure whether there's another life beyond this one. And they may fear hell. You know, fear in that case is a good motivator. But the sad truth is many people are already dead and don't even know it. That is, they're dead spiritually, dead to God and Christ. They're spiritually oblivious to God. How could this be? Sin has made them dead. Very few college football coaches have made a point against drugs as effectively as Irk Russell of Georgia Southern College. He arranged for a couple of good old country boys to burst into a routine team meeting and throw a writhing, hissing, six-foot-long rattlesnake into a onto a table in front of the squad. Everyone screamed and scattered. Russell recalls, I told them when the cocaine comes into a room, not, you're not nearly as apt to leave as when that rattlesnake comes in, but they'll, they'll both kill you. Sin in its various forms has a dreadful effect on our world. It has killed people. 
It has made them dead to real life. It has deadened them to God, to Christ, to all things spiritual. Gary Richmond, a former zookeeper, said, Raccoons go through a glandular change in, at about 24 months. After that, they often attack their owners. Since a 30-pound raccoon can be equal to a 100-pound dog in a scrap, I felt compelled to mention the change coming to a pet raccoon owned by a young friend of mine, Julie. She listened politely as I explained the coming danger. I'll never forget her answer. It will be a, it'll be different for me, she smiled as she added, Bandit wouldn't hurt me, he just wouldn't. Three months later, Julie underwent plastic surgery for facial lacerations sustained when her adult raccoon attacked her for no apparent reason. Sin, too, comes dressed in an adorable guise, and as we play with it, how easy it is to say, it will be different for me. The results are predictable. Sin may appear harmless and be pleasurable, but eventually it'll turn on you and mar you often for life. In fact, sin kills the life out of people. Sin takes over controls and makes people essentially into the walking dead. But there is an escape, and that escape is through Jesus Christ. He alone gives you victory over sin. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 7.24-25, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul gives the path of how to become alive in Christ. He says that we are dead in sin, that is, before we're saved, that uh, God is rich in mercy, that he is willing to help us in our situation, and that we are alive in Christ, that is, after we accept Christ as our Savior. So let's look at this little outline. Dead in sin. Again, that's us before we were saved. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, As you... As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts like the rest. We were by nature objects of wrath. Dead doesn't sound good, does it? This text speaks of the walking dead. That, that may sound kind of like a horror movie of some, to some people, dead and yet still alive. The man huddled on the cabin floor was slowly freezing to death. It was high in the Rockies in southwestern Alberta, and outside a blizzard was raging. John Elliott had logged miles that day through the deep snows of the mountain passes as he checked for avalanches. Dusk and exhaustion overcame him. He had decided to hole up. He made it to his cabin but was dazed with fatigue. He didn't light a fire or remove his wet clothing. As the blizzard blasted through the cracks of the old cabin walls, 
the sleeping forest ranger sank into oblivion, paralyzed by the pleasure of the storm's icy caress. Suddenly his dog sprang into action and, with unrelenting whines, finally managed to rouse his near-comatose friend. The dog was John's constant companion, a St. Bernard, one of the long line of dogs famous for their heroics in times of crises. If that dog hadn't been with me, I'd be dead today, John Elliott says. When you're freeze, uh, freezing to death, you actually feel warm all over and don't wake up because it feels too good. This story illustrates the spiritual condition of many people today. They're cold spiritually and are sadly are oblivious to their true condition. Many people are dead and don't even know it. Before slaves were emancipated, a Christian slave in America was overheard by his master. The black man was groaning, weeping, and praying to the Lord for deliverance from the devil. His master said, You seem to have a lot of trouble with the devil. He never bothers me at all. And yet you're a good praying Christian, and I'm not a Christian. Why doesn't he bother me? The black man replied, I'll explain. When you're out shooting ducks, which do you send your dog after first, the ones that fall dead or the ones that are wounded and are trying to get away? Well, the man replied, well, of course, I'd send the dog after the wounded ones. We are sure of the dead ones and can pick them up later. The man said, and so is with Satan. He already has those who aren't saved, but those that know the Lord are the ones he sends his dogs after. He knows he can pick up the others later. Listen, those who haven't given their lives to Christ in faith and surrendered to his will are essentially dead. The devil already has them. It doesn't take much to lead, lead them down the path of sin because they're already living in it. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The Spirit is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. At one time, we were all dead in our sins. Maybe not as dead as some, but still dead. We followed the sinful ways of the world and followed the ruler of the kingdom of the air who, whether we knew it or not, is Satan. Everyone starts in this life dead to sin. But God is rich in mercy. That's God. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5 and 8 through 10 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This not from yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God is both merciful and gracious. He's rich in mercy. Mercy means we don't get what we deserve, which is punishment. God is merciful. 
Grace means we get what we don't deserve, which is salvation. Someone said the two greatest words in the Bible are, but God, dead in sin, but God. At a comparative religious conference, the wise and scholarly were in a lively debate about what's unique about Christianity. Someone suggested that uh, what set Christianity apart from other religions was the concept of incarnation, the idea that God took human form in Jesus. But someone said, well, actually, other faiths believe that God appears in human form too. Another said, what about the resurrection, the belief that death isn't the final word, that the tomb was empty? Someone shook his head. Other religions have accounts of people supposedly returning from the dead. C.S. Lewis walked into the room, tweed jacket, arm full of papers, a little early for his presentation. He sat down and listened to the conversation, which had become a fierce debate. Finally, he spoke. What's this all about, he said. Everyone said, we're debating what's unique about Christianity. Oh, that's easy, answered Lewis. It's grace. Christianity uniquely claims God's love comes free of charge, no strings attached. No other religion makes that claim. Lewis had a point. Buddhists, for example, fall an eightfold path to enlightenment. It's not a free ride. Hindus believe in karma, that you actually continually affect the way the world will treat you that there's nothing that comes to you not set in motion by your actions. Another observed the Jewish code of the law implies God has requirements for people to be acceptable to him. And in Islam, God is a God of judgment, not a God of love. At the end of the discussion, everyone concluded Lewis had a point. Only Christianity proclaims God's love is unconditional, an unconditional love called grace. Christians proclaim that grace has little to do with us, our inner resolve or our lack of inner resolve. Rather, grace is about God freely giving us the gifts of forgiveness, mercy, and love. And God's mercy comes along with the grace. Because of God's grace, he is also rich in mercy, and this is the path that leads to life, which is truly life. Alive in Christ, that's the third thing. That's us after we accept Christ as our Savior. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But because of all of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. I'm alive. I'm alive. You know, we all can shout these words when we know Christ. They're true. And they're true because of Jesus. He's the one who gives life more abundant and free because of his great love. How great is God's love for us? 
I heard about Ted and Beverly Skiles who started the orphanage, the home of God's love, in Taiwan, China, 47 years ago. The Home of God's Love is a non-profit Christian orphanage located in Taiwan. It was founded in 1975 by Ted and Beverly Skiles, two dedicated Christians that felt God calling them to take care of children. Their main ministry is to provide a loving Christian home for children that can't live with their family for some reason. In addition to caring for these children, they baptized hundreds of children and adults into Christ. Ted and Beverly are Christian people who have dedicated themselves to demonstrating love on a foreign soil. Now, why would they do that? William Whit Whitting Borden, from November, born November 1st, 1887, died April 9th, 1913, he was a Christian missionary to Egypt with Samuel Zwimmer. William was the heir to the Borden family fortune. William Borden was a graduate of Yale University in 1909 and of Princeton Theological Seminary. Borden was converted to Christianity under the ministry of Dwight L. Moody. He decided to become a missionary to the Muslims of China, but died of spinal meningitis at age 25 in Egypt during his training there. After his death, Borden's Bible was given to his parents. In it, they found the words, No Reserved, dated shortly after he renounced his fortune in favor of missions. Later, he had written in the Bible, No Retreat, dated shortly after his father told him he'd never let him work in the company again. <laughs> Just before he died in Egypt, he added no regrets, no reserve, no retreat, no regrets in following Jesus and going to Egypt to do mission work. Why did William Borden do that? Why did he give his life on a foreign soil for others? Well, maybe we would understand if we listened to another story and, and asked the same question. Philippians 2, 2, 5 through 8 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself no, nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. The story is Jesus left his home in heaven for earth for one purpose, to seek and to save the lost. Why did he do that? Because John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. We're made alive because of his great love. John 10.10 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they might have life and might have it to the full. See, Satan wants to kill and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life and the ultimate promise of life after death. W.B. Henson, a great preacher of the past, spoke from his own experience just before he died. He said, 
I remember a year ago when a doctor told me you have an illness from which you won't recover. I walked out to where I live five miles from Portland, Oregon, and I looked across at that mountain that I love. I, I looked at the Columbia River in which I rejoice, and I looked at the stately trees that are always God's own poetry to my soul. Then in the evening I looked up with a great into the great sky God was lighting his lamps, and I said, I may not see you many times more, but mountain, I shall be alive when you are gone, and river, I shall be alive when you cease running towards the sea, and stars, I shall be alive when you have fallen from your sockets in the great down-pulling of the material universe. We're alive now and shall live forever, and it's because Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. Do you know him? Are you alive in Christ Jesus? I want you to know the most important decision that you can ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, to ask him to forgive you of your sins, and, and tell him you're sorry for the way you've lived, and ask him to change your life, make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. See, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, and that whosoever includes you. Now, I know that Jesus Christ has said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I will come again and take you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It doesn't take too much wisdom to say, I'd rather spend eternity in heaven with Jesus Christ than to be locked into hell with all the sinners and Satan and his evil angels. Why don't you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior today if you have not done it yet and ask Jesus to change your life and give you life more abundantly? Shall we pray? Dear Jesus, I pray that you help those that are listening to this broadcast today to realize how important it is to accept you as their personal Savior. And Lord, make their hearts ready so that when you call us home or when you come to get us, we are prepared to live in heaven with you for all eternity. Thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to leave heaven and take on the form of man and come and suffer and bleed and die in our place because the wages of sin is death. We could not pay that ourselves, but you took care of that for us. And all we need to do is call upon you. Thank you, Lord. For that, we, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I, I would say if you want to get in touch with me, you can uh, email me. My email address is lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. My mailing address is box 4031 Sun Valley, Arizona 86029. And I would remind you that if you want to see the website, my website address online is uh, lowercase churchofthegalilean.com. That's C-H-U-R-C-H-O-F-T-H-E-G-A-L-I-L-E-A-N.com. It's all run together as one word. God bless you. 
I praise God for the opportunity to talk to you, and I, I do ask God to bless each one of you today in a very real way.